Welcome to Breaking the Mold, a podcast from the National Precast Concrete Association. I'm Joe Frollo, your host. Today we're going to be talking about how to open up conversation with specifiers and being a resource for specifiers both on the public and the private levels. I'll be talking with Bill Bunchu of Pretech. Later on in the show, NPCA's Chris Frederick will talk with Matt McSweeney, a structural materials engineer at the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. Let's get started. Hello, Bill. Thanks for joining us today on Breaking the Mold. We're, we're so glad to have you with us. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate being here. So we're talking about specifiers and building relationships with specifiers. Let's start out with how do you even define that term? Who qualifies in your mind to be a specifier? I, I would say you're a specifier. A specifier is anyone who has the, the authority to determine what is required out of the contractor and the supplier for the job. So it could be anywhere from you know, city official, municipal, the uh, design engineer, the owner, or the, uh, the developer themselves could always be it. But it's usually some sort of a city official or, or design engineer. And when you have a, a new specifier in your area, or maybe just one who's been there a while you haven't interacted with, how do you reach out to them? How do you start that conversation? Because sometimes having having a relationship before the bid even comes in can be beneficial for you. Yeah, we we always try to uh, to communicate with them. It's it's kind of uh, kind of nice when uh, you get a big job that comes out and you start communicating with them before you bid the job because then they know who you are. It's great when you have a new one, new specifier around that uh, you invite them out to your plant. You try to build a relationship with them. You hope that your reputation preceded you and that the reason that that, uh, that maybe you have an opportunity to bid this job is because of your reputation. So we'll invite them for a plant tour. We're, we've actually several of them we sent to the uh, NPCA web site when they were redesigning some specs or redoing some specifications for uh, septic tanks or different things like that. So we just try to be everything to them, be their least problem, and um, just try to do everything that we can to make their job easier. Yeah, most of the specifiers that I've, I've interacted with are engineers or have some sort of engineering background, but honestly, not all of them do. I've run into that situation before. Do you do you talk to people differently or or interact with them differently depending on what their background is? No, I I really don't. Sometimes we'll you'll get uh, some engineers that you've got to treat differently, but for the most part, you just you talk to them just like they're you. You know, you you want them to uh, feel comfortable. You don't want them to feel like they've got you know that you're talking down to them or treating them as if they really don't know something uh for the most part you just you figure out what they know and then you you kind of talk towards that i think that's the way you do with most people for anything what about uh your interactions with say a a, a dot or a government specifier versus a, a private company you may work with engineers out there is there is there anything you do special for one or the other or you treat them all the same a specifier is a specifier well, you try to treat them all the same. It seems like the private people you can build better relationships with because they're allowed to do things that maybe the state or the the, uh, the city engineers or specifiers can't do. You know, you can take them to lunch and different things like that if they're private. So you build a, a stronger relationship and you're dealing with them more. We do plenty of, of state and city work, but it seems like they're bigger jobs, so there's not as many of them where we're continuously working with in the private world. And that's a conversation you can really keep up even when there's not a, a job up for bid. You, it's kind of one of those you invest some time and maybe a lunch in that six months, 12 months down the line will pay off for you. 
when we bid a job, you know, there's usually a, you get a chance to look at the plans and when you're looking them over, you'll find mistakes. Well, calling the engineer and it takes the right way to talk to them and let them know that there's a mistake there. And they usually all appreciate it. You don't want to bring it out and throw whatever, you know, throw it out there to the public to see. You just want to tell them, hey, you've got an elevation bust here. You've got, uh, uh, this isn't uh, readily available. That's a big thing. If you let the specifiers know what's readily available or different things like that, they really appreciate that. And that makes them call you back for the next job. They'll ask you about different things. And in this time right now, with lead times being bad, and, you know, they're taking so long and the price is going so high, I think the, the, uh, the specifiers really appreciate you calling them and saying, hey, I see what you've got designed here, but if we do this, we can speed up our production time or... If we do this, you know, we can cut the cost. And that really helps to build that relationship because they know that you've got the best interest in the job at, you know, in mind. So they're going to probably call you back more often. You mentioned before about there's a little bit of difference between a, a private versus a public engineer or a specifier. What about, you know, federal versus state versus city county? Do those people operate a little bit differently? Is there a little bit of nuance when, when working those? Well, a lot of times the federal people have, they're more set in their ways and you can't uh, can't sway them there as much. State a little bit less, and then municipal, you know, maybe a lot uh, a lot easier. But a specifier told me a long, long time ago when I was upset about some of the requirements that they were giving us. He said, "Bill, we've got to write one specification for the guy that's trying to screw us and the guy that's trying to do a good job." So you got to keep that in mind when you're talking to these guys. They're they're they've got uh, they got a big task. They they've got to make sure that that job comes out correctly. And not everybody's going to be like what I think we are. We're going to try to do the best job. Some people are going to just try to get by, and that's what they really have to write those specifications for. NPCA has recently uh, added a lot of specifier resources on our website, and, and we hope that the members are using that when they're they're sharing it with the specifier. You, you mentioned that a little bit as well, that you'll, you'll bring them to the website and show them some of the things we have up there. What are some other ways that you make yourself a resource for specifiers? I know some owners, some company officials have, have told me that they'll answer questions. They'll, they'll point people to papers or to research or something like that. They'll, they'll give them background on why precast is, you know, a viable option within a bid that may lead to a job further on. It's, what's some ways that you've interacted that way with a specifier to, to just make yourself a resource for down the line? Well, here again, like I said, the, uh, the reputation, uh, we, we usually try to keep putting that out there we, we, by inviting them here to uh, open houses, to inviting them here for, you know, seeing a product before we deliver it. And if it's something out of the ordinary, bring them out here. Definitely, uh, when we have our precast days uh, open house, we have some uh, uh, continuing education credits, which it always seems like the, the engineers really want to get those. Plus we feed them barbecue when they come out here. So, uh, and just try to continuously communicate with them. A lot of the local associations that helps us a lot, but just always, uh, trying to do the best job, really taking their criticism on our, on a shop drawing. If they have some problems, really talking to them about why we did what we did or, and, and taking their, their advice or, or a little bit of their criticism to heart and changing some things to make it work better for them. So just being one of their least problems, you know, when, when they get out there, we need to be the least problem. If they got to worry about the precast, you know, then we haven't done our job. You mentioned precast days, and I think that's a great opportunity for a lot of uh, the companies across the United States. They take advantage of it every October. We, we you know, obviously make a, a PR push here from NPCA to 
get people to visit the uh, the plants. How has reception been for that? You've done that a couple of years. Tell me about precast days. We we've done that every year. Plus, we actually had the precast convention here this past year, and and we got well, we got the place all cleaned up. So we actually opened it up for everybody else too, not just the uh, members of the MPCA. It's it's worked out great for us. Like I said, they uh, really need uh, continuing education credits. And it seems a lot different when you can get them in there. We isolate them into a tent, and you can sit talk to them one-on-one. We've got uh, a couple engineers that do a really good job of discussing topics. It usually really opens up the dialogue of reasons why, where maybe if you go on an official visit and sitting in their office, they maybe have a little bit more power. But when you're sitting there or they're, they're sitting there with you and you're the one educating them, they seem to be maybe taken in a little bit more, or at least don't argue with you too much while you're, while they're in the class. It's worked out great for us. And then just for them to see how we do different things, that's something that really amazes them because they just see the finished product out there. And so if they can come and see us, how we set things up and we try to set things up in different stages, you know, just the start, then we put the steel on, on the form. And then we, you know, so we just, we just do it step by step and they can really see what we're doing. So the next time they go to design something, they may call us and say, Hey, I noticed when I was out there, you did this this way. Why did you do it that way? Or, Hey, is there any way we could do something like this? Can I come out there and, and we can talk about something? So it's, it's really opened up that dialogue. You need, you you start building that relationship with them. Yeah. I think that's a really undervalued part of uh, bringing people to your plant and showing what's going on. I mean, these, these are engineers for the most part. These are people who, who'd like to see how the bread's baked, so to say. They're, they're kids in a candy store when it comes out to come into a manufacturing facility. It kind of gets their juices flowing, and it's why it gets them interested in what they do in the first place. So that, that's a great idea. Any other ways that you've built uh, some unique relationships with specifiers over the years? I mean, you don't have to give us names, but you know, if, if there's anything you want to share that can maybe help people get down this road. Well, with what we've tried to open ourselves up to... Uh, even jobs that we're not successful with in getting is helping uh, or becoming a person that they can come talk to. If another precaster puts a product out on the job that that maybe they got a little question on, we've gotten phone calls from the core, from the highway department, asking us our opinion of something out there. So we think that they they must have a lot of respect for what we do and and, and how we do it. So that's a, a good way. We sponsor golf outings. We we have visits at the Capitol. Anytime you can get beside them, we've, we've got uh, several different associations in town here that uh, it allows us to get, to spend, you know, several hours with them as opposed to just 15 minutes in their office talking something professional. We're talking about their kids. We're talking about their golf game. We're talking about the football game. So you're, you're, you're building that relationship that then allows them to feel very comfortable with you and know that you're going to be more honest and, and they have no problem then calling you up and saying, hey, what you did is wrong or what you did is great or hey can i come out there and see how you did this and we've learned a lot from them they come out here and these are engineers that have been in business for a long time so they might come out here and say hey i see how you're doing this but what if you you change this a little bit or you 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 move the steel over this way or you extended that 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 form or uh two to things so it's kind of an interaction i mean you both have to be successful for for it to uh for it to be a good job the way i look at it they they have to have a successful uh, design, we have to have a successful product. And if we're working together, it's a lot easier than if you're working by yourselves. 
Yeah, and that face-to-face conversation with uh, specifiers, it really gets, you get to know them as human beings and they get to know you as people and that, you know, all of our strengths and all of our flaws come together and, and having that trust and that back and forth really is, really is important to the jobs that we're doing. Right. You know, the biggest thing is, like I say, is, is to build that relationship and to have that reputation. And, you know, it seems like it takes you years to get uh, reputation, you know, hundreds and hundreds of jobs. One job can ruin that. And, and, and one thing that we've noticed how we, you handle that, it, it's, you know, everybody makes mistakes. But when you make a mistake, it's how you handle that. You take care of it. You, you own it. You, you get right on fixing it. You get on right on replacing it. And it's amazing how not only the contractor appreciates that, but definitely the specifier because uh, it keeps the job moving. Hey, Bill, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks for giving me a little bit of your time today. I, I, I enjoyed it. Hopefully it helps. All right, we're going to hear from some sponsors and be back with Engineers Corner. Hiring, training, and retaining employees is a major challenge for every industry, including precast. MPCA is giving you the tools to meet the challenge head-on with an exciting new program designed to give your new hires a head start. With MPCA's onboarding program, you can introduce new employees to your organization's expectations, behaviors, and culture while providing training and motivation for them to become a productive member of the team. To learn more, visit precast.org backslash onboarding and take the first step toward moving from employee seeker to employee keeper. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Chris, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I understand your time is extremely valuable. So taking a few minutes out of your day to kind of discuss this topic with us is fantastic. So we'll jump right into it. With PennDOT, can you kind of walk me through the bidding process and kind of talk about how this changes with different products, not necessarily specific to precast, but just in general? Yeah. I mean, uh, so the bidding process, uh, you know, I, I'm in the structural materials section, so we're not really engaged so much on the bidding process. We're more engaged in the precaster, uh, QA, QC, IA programs. When it comes to bidding, you know, we te- typically interact with the precasters uh, at time of assigning the work, essentially for for new products. The actual bids go out through what's called our ECMS program or um, electronic construction management system. And uh, prime contractors, they basically can select different advertisements that would be on there and they can bid it, uh, bid the job, and they get awarded it. How the precasters kind of get engaged is uh, they get solicited for bids from the prime contractors and, you know, they'll basically select which project they want and which bid they want to utilize to obtain that that uh, that job. So that's kind of just... Uh, how the bidding process works for uh, the state. Basically, we have um, two let days every month. It's, I believe, the first and third Thursday. So it's every other Thursday that uh, they let new projects or advertising projects for bidding. And uh, that's essentially how, how they get advertised and the frequency. And basically, it's the prime contractors doing the work and the precasters are essentially subcontractor or material suppliers to the prime contractor. Kind of brings me to my next point. Obviously, the landscape's changed a lot since 2020 with COVID and everything. 
has, did the process change for you guys with, I know, I know you said that you were more involved with the QAQC, but has the process changed in the bidding process at all since COVID back in 2020? Not necessarily. And uh, because we've had our electronic management system in place for the better part of 20 years, what it feels like, we haven't really needed to kind of pivot to any other bidding ability. Now, the only thing that really kind of changed a little bit was just some in-person meetings. Every year with industry, we'd host a meeting that would go over sort of a overall highlight of what jobs were sort of on the major list uh, for the year. But it was just an overall highlight of the jobs. It wasn't any specific details. So essentially what, you know, that's the big thing that had to change a little bit when COVID occurred, we had to cancel one. And I think they, another one, they actually held uh, annually, but they held it virtually. So, but since all the bids are solicited through ECMS, everything's electronic as it is. So you really weren't collecting paper applications or bids. So not really a big deal in order to pivot to electronic. Well, yeah. So you brought up a good point with the meeting you guys have annually, biannually, whenever it takes place. Is that just for in-house PennDOT folks, or is that also, do you invite precast producers? And that, I know you deal with more than just precast, but are producers invited as well? Um, so it's mainly predicated around um, our current contractor companies that are out there. We, we've got big organization associated PA contract uh, constructors. The associated Pennsylvania constructors that association uh, is essentially just a conglomerate of uh, the prime contractors for the state, you know, higher level management staff. Outside of that, we really don't see the, the precasters, so to speak, or, or the fabricators at those types of meetings. But I believe that the information kind of gets relayed to them as information kind of gets disseminated to the prime contractors. When you're building relationships, now I'm going to shift a little bit to the precast producer side. Do you guys have an annual meeting that is just, that was obviously for contract, but do you guys have like an annually kind of download meeting with the producers, kind of talk about expectations of the year moving forward, any changes in your program, so on and so forth? Well, so with uh, PennDOT, we associate ourselves with uh, PA Precast Association or PPA, and we actually meet um, every other month what we discuss is just ongoing quality issues or ongoing business related items for new specs that are coming out or new projects that might be coming out or, you know, material delays, those types of things. And so we actually meet every other month rather than yearly. And we do try to kind of pull together certain higher level projects, such as like box culverts or other structure related items. And we have a list that Generally, we will distribute on an annual basis with with that PKA group. How important is the relationship between PennDOT and how do you build that relationship from a PennDOT employee to local producers, whether it be ACPA, MBCA, PCI, whoever that may be? Yeah, I mean, so the relationship with the you know industry is pretty. So actively engaging them getting them out to the fabricators or into mutual locations like various meetings and whatnot. It's good to build that engagement. Then it just gives you the establishment to put name to face or face to name and, and 
gives you the ability to kind of develop interpersonal relations rather than just uh, very professional. You, you know, you get to know these these individuals on a more personal level, and it helps facilitate future conversations with them. Um, so I think it's pretty important, and we try to show up to fabricators, and we try to show up to various meetings and engage all the staff that we can so that it helps establish an understanding and mutual understanding of where each other are coming from. No, that makes sense. So would you say that that is your, I would say your number one channel in building relationships is when you or your staff gets out in the field and visits these producers or goes to different jobs, obviously? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously a meeting can only do so much, but that, that drives a very formal kind of situation. So actually showing up at the fabricator, fabrication shop or even just an industry uh, convention or something like that helps develop that a little bit closer. And, you know, we send out staff to perform audits at, at plants. Um, so being able to kind of walk through those audits with the fabricator to help establish where we're coming from and what we're looking for, it helps sure up any kind of confusion and, and or determination as far as what specific items mean uh, mean what to us you know obviously you can be a little more strict in certain areas or a little more lenient um, and it really gives the ability for the fabricator to kind of gauge what elements of quality are, are important to that individual and it helps uh, ensure that our needs and requirements are being met. That's perfect. Now, how often do you or your staff get out to visit these job sites or these producers? Is it quite frequent? So, I mean, it varies. Um, I've got some technicians that are in the shop every single day. Um, I've got inspection staff as well as supervisor inspection staff that are in shops every single day. And then when it comes to my direct staff, uh, you know, try to get my engineer out multiple times during the week to the fabricator as well as myself to try to show up and, and get out to the fabrication shop as frequently as possible. The best way to, to, to learn and the best way to kind of communicate is being present in the shop. No, absolutely. And obviously it helps build the relationship. So <clears throat> completely understand. So when you do go out to job sites, to these producers, how are you received? I know that, you know, a lot of them might think, hey, you know, big brother's here, so on and so forth. How do you relay the information? Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just here to kind of witness what's going on, but to kind of, because obviously that can, it, it changes with the different situations. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, a lot of fabricators sometimes see when the, the Department of Transportation shows up as contentious. When we show up, it seems like we're just looking or we're there to find problems and um, that's not necessarily the case it, you know, a lot of it may be just seeing how things are going it's tough some some days uh, we've had plants that when we show up they'll they'll actually cancel production for the day and you know it's that's really tough because we want to see they are doing quality work and we want to be able to see that and, and kind of communicate with them about how well they are doing and if if we don't have that opportunity, then, you know, we can't really do that. But, you know, that's why when I show up at a fabricator, I try to kind of keep things a little light and try to really develop that, that interpersonal relation, try to joke around a little bit, kind of lighten the mood a little bit. That way it's not as uh, contentious. 
And do you do you encourage producers to reach out to you with any questions you have and all that? Because again, I, I think a lot a lot of producers have hesitation to reach out to DOTs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm there as well as the rest of my staff are there. We're we're working as a team, and and when there's things that come up as a question or you know maybe a disagreement in in interpretation, we're there trying to work together through it all. And and I always actively encourage plants to reach out with questions and and also help them along if there's questions about a process or uh, what's a requirement where to find certain requirements definitely there to help and and definitely encourage that and encourage that with my inspection staff as well because at the end of the day everybody's there trying to do their their job and do a good job so to be available for that and to be available to answer questions helps progress that in a positive direction for quality and you know again moving a project forward very neat very neat all right so kind of shifting a little bit again um what do you see as benefits and, and i know you cover it's not just precast but what are some of the benefits that you see using precast concrete in some of the projects that you guys bid out yeah uh benefits there's a lot of benefits oftentimes just in general, the quality of materials tend to be better. In PennDOT, we require all the casting to be done indoors. So we're able to kind of control the temperature, humidity, and, and just environmental impacts that would otherwise have, I wouldn't say negative impacts, but uh, various impacts on field-cured concrete. Um, and being able to, to handle that inside of a shop kind of just drives home a more manufacturing, a better manufacturing perspective and, and allows you to kind of help facilitate and, and manage those materials better, gives a better quality control, better ability to have more consistent strengths and more consistent uh, shapes and sizes. So that's, that's from one perspective, that's a good idea. The other great aspect of precast concrete is just that how fast we can assemble product out in the field when it comes to making box culverts and things like that, or rigid frames, we're able to assemble certain structures in a short order amount of time as opposed to having a contractor have to demo a and build it up from scratch. They're able to kind of dig a hole and plop, plop the structure in and move on. It, it definitely accelerates the bridge construction aspect and so I think that that's a huge imp huge benefit because it impacts the traveling public less. The more work you can do offsite, I view as a benefit because one, it's a increased perception that you know we're out there doing doing a quick job, and they don't necessarily see the the time and effort that goes on behind the scenes. So to make it look quick and easy is kind of a good thing because you know people tend to be pleasantly surprised when when things happen fast and, and well. All right, kind of building on that a little bit, have you, and kind of elaborate on the story if you can, but have you had any projects that didn't necessarily start out at precast, start out as precast in mind, but eventually came in and you decided to move in the precast direction? I would say that that happened probably more so in the early days of accelerating bridge construction. Um, now I think kind of migrated away from that and. I think that a lot of the expectation is to let's precast what we can. But in the early days, you know, there was definitely some um, value engineering for projects that might have been, let's say, a bridge rehab or, you know, replacing a, a 
a pipe culvert with something else, you know, they, they decided, Hey, it might be better to replace this with a box culvert or an arch culvert rather than assembling or constructing it on, on site. So yeah, there's, there's been plenty of examples, but I would say more so in the better, better half of the last 15 years, I think there's been a big shift to having that idea on the forefront that, Hey, let's precast this rather than assembling out in the field. And again, a lot of it has to do with the bridge superstructure replacements as well. Um, we've had a lot where, you know, an accelerated bridge project wanted to use an accelerated concrete. Then instead they decided to use like a, a precast deck panel waffle system where they would take these precast deck panels and put them in the, in the field, erect them in the field and do a closure pour with accelerated concrete and they come place them and, and walk away in, in 48 hours. So, you know, that's it. And because, you know, that timeline was very, very tight. And as we got to doing more of those types of projects, uh, there was a lot more comfortability with doing that. And, and there was a better idea on how quickly we could achieve that, you know? And, and so as we do more of these more complex projects with precast and swapping out, let's say a field, see all the other opportunities that are available for, for precast. So it, so it sounds like it's more of an education thing. So as precast became more relevant with an accelerated bridge construction, it seems like that's been the case. Is that, does that sound correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what's available or what can be done. I think a lot, there's a lot of set skepticism around a, a first time project or something like that. And once they start to see that, that accelerated precast bridge in a backpack type of system where they can just quickly come out and assemble a bridge in, in short order. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that change their viewpoint and say, wow, this is, uh, this is the wave of the future. No, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Kind of wrapping everything up here. Do you have any other final suggestions or advice you have for producers that are trying to not necessarily with PennDOT, but as a whole, and it doesn't have to be just state level, local level, municipality, whatever it may be, but building relationships with specifiers in general. Do you have any other final suggestions that producers can do to take advantage of that? Well, I mean, absolutely reach out to your specifiers. As I had commented, we hold a uh, meeting every other month to, to go over you know, just industry-related items, again, material availability or, or new product systems out there. So being able to actively engage with DOT member or specifiers, it's huge because at the same time, those specifiers may have this idea of putting on a project, but it may not be the best project for a certain scenario. So actively engaging with the fabricators and or the fabricators engaging with specifiers helps uh, make sure that the right projects are being put out for the, the correct locations and you know it helps ensure success of the program as a whole so i'm a huge advocate of communicating with the uh, advocators handling the specifiers and just again developing that in a personal relationship because when you start developing that it, it Again, that relationship becomes less contentious and less, you know, 
where the specifiers have provided us with what we got rather than, hey, this is our thought for this area. Is this achievable? Is this doable? What are the what are the restrictions or the drawbacks to this type of system and a certain bridge location or, or product location? No, that's great. So yeah, that's one thing that I always try to encourage members when they're dealing with specifiers is, you know, continue to provide lunch and learns, open your doors, you know, invite, invite specifiers as much as you possibly can get them in your facility because they might be walking around. They might see something. Oh, I, I didn't know that, you know, I, I didn't know that we could do that precast, whatever it may be, but encourage them to reach out, open doors and have specifiers come into their facility to look at their operation. Well, sometimes specifiers don't necessarily know what their limitations are as well, you know, and they might, they might put a project out that might be a little more difficult uh, of achieving the goal. Um, as an example, we had a bridge project out in the Allentown area, and it was a big post-tensioned structure, bridge beams, but and the bridge beams were 140 feet long, but that would have been fine on an interstate project or something like that. But, you know, in some of our outskirts, Allentown locations, we've got these winding, weaving roads and things along those lines. But it's part of that active communication with the fabricator to realize that there's specialty equipment that can be utilized to transport these girders and things along those lines. So it helps open up and 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 kind of has that ability to kind of open up a specifier's eyes as to what can be achieved, albeit if it's special equipment or reducing section sizes in order to make, make a, a project successful. And it will, and they won't know that unless they go and visit a shop or have that, that, uh, engagement with the, with the fabricator. All right, Matt. Well, again, I appreciate the time today and, uh, we appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for everything. Thanks for having me. That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it and can take some ideas from it back to your place of work. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating to help us reach more people both inside and outside of our industry. See you next time on Breaking the Mold.